This episode of Left of Field is brought to you by Hail the Kale, prepared meals that look as good as they taste. It's Left of Field with Danny Hello friends, Kavanagh. today I am sitting down with Anthony van der Willen. He's the director of Empire Sports. Now, Anthony has represented some of the biggest names in WA sport over the past two decades. He's a player manager and it's gotten to the time of the season, especially in the AFL, where some big deals are about to go down. So I thought I'd sit down with him and see what really happens behind the scenes this time of year. Retirements, delistings, list management trades and free agencies, it's all discussed. So I hope you enjoy. Anthony, welcome to the Left of Field podcast. How are you going today? I'm well, Danielle. Thanks for having me. Now, this is a bit of a different one for my listeners, focused a lot on the field of sporting figures, but now we're going to look part of the industry that's off the field. So you are a player manager based in WA and you've had some really big names. Can you just tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, look, I've been doing this for about 18 years now as an accredited agent with the AFL and the AFL Players Association. I'm a little bit different to most managers in that I also run some other businesses. So my background is I run a couple of real estate companies and that's something that I've done for around 25 years. And the sports management side of things is is more a supplementary side to to what I do. That means uh, you must be very business-minded. That's obviously probably helped you in in the sports industry, right? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I come from a football and sporting background and then, you know, the business side of things I've learnt along the way and you know, combine the two together and whether you're negotiating real estate contracts or player contracts or uh, endorsements and things like that, it's all on a very, very similar line. Yeah, so how did you get started as a player manager? Well, believe it or not, nowadays there are quite a few university courses based around sports management and uh, I know there's a couple of people uh, in the industry one that works for me and Paul McGumber, who's done his master's in sports management. But time that I got involved wasn't really any sort of tertiary qualification and it certainly wasn't a mainstream qualification that people wanted to get into. So it was more an association. So I was running my real estate businesses and, you know, was good friends with some of the players that were playing at the time. I've had a long association with the South Romano Football Club and some of the players that were coming out of the, the football club had been in the AFL and had come to me to buy property and sell property and things like that over the years. And it just sort of morphed into uh, you know a couple of players saying, look, you're doing my finance, you're doing my property transactions, I trust you, I like the way you negotiate, would you be prepared to take on my player contract? Now, that was quite some time ago when things weren't as regulated as they are now. And, of course, then the AFL... Players Association brought in accreditation. So when I got into it a little bit deeper, I, I started off doing some contracts for mainly Fremantle Dockers and West Coast Eagles players back in the day. And then accreditation came along. So I went through the accreditation process and did some courses and have been in the industry for a hell of a long time now. Firstly, congratulations, South Fremantle. You must have had a big weekend. <laughs> I have. Look, all my brain cells aren't quite intact this week. It's something we've been working on for a long time. 12 years since our last one. It's been a very, very good week and very, very happy boy I am at the moment. Well, you touched on a lot that I want to really dive into, especially the off the field. So can you give us a bit of a rundown? What is the role of a player manager in 2020? Look, it's pretty diverse. I guess people look at it as something that you you just go in and negotiate big contracts and, and things like that. But there's 
There's a hell of a lot more to it. That's, of course, an important part is the contract negotiation, but there's a lot more to it. There's endorsements, there's media management, there's brand development, there's networking opportunities. The player welfare is, is one of the most important things. So, you know, your role is to develop the player and, and mentor the player and, and give them support during their career and also post their career, making sure they have good transition from football into to whatever career path they choose. You know, there's providing professional assistance to them, so making sure that you put them in contact with the right people in, in the right professions, people like financial planners and accountants, and making sure that they get the best investment opportunities and that they put their money in the right places. But, you know, most of all, it's the, so the players have someone that has their back and has their best interest at heart, I guess. Yeah, how important is it to set up a player on and off the field? We hear about it so often these days. I mean, even some young players, I know that the player managers almost act like their bank and give them, you know, an allowance each week. How important is it to set them up financially like that as well and to get them investing and setting up for a future? It's very important. I think that's one of the most important roles that the manager can play. So a little bit different to, to everybody else in society, players you earn most of their big money in their early years. So, you know, between the age of 18 and 30, they're earning the bulk of their income. And for a lot of them, they probably never go close to earning that kind of money again in the rest of their life. So getting it right is paramount. If you look back at when we were all 18, 19, 20, it's it's a different time of your life. And having that discipline around you and the skill and the the know-how to know what to do with your money isn't always there at that age. So players rely heavily on their managers and and the associations that their managers have to give them the right advice. So uh, who are on your books? These days, I've only got a fairly small list of current players. So um, I've got Tim Kelly, who's recently joined the West Coast Eagles this season. Marlon Pickett, who most people would know made his dream debut in the AFL Grand Final last year. I've got Brendan Archie, who's been with me for a long, long time. And I've got a lot of AFLW girls on our books as well that we give some guidance and assistance to. And look, I've been fortunate enough to have some big names, you know, over the last eight or ten years. So people like Andrew Emley, Adam Hunter, Ashley Sampy, Jeff Farmer, Paul Hazelby, Glenn Jakovich, Anthony Grover, so on and so on. There's There's been plenty of players, you know, over the years and proud to say that I have a, a really strong association with all my players, even post-finishing their football careers. They become part of our family and they're often around for dinner and I've been fortunate enough to have long associations, things like being best man at weddings and godfather to children and all those sorts of things, which my wife and I have been fortunate enough to be part of. They're the things that really make this rewarding and worthwhile. How did you learn to negotiate and to sign up players? Oh, gee, it's not something that you just do overnight, but I guess, you know, it's a skill you develop from years of business and Mainly for me, it was through the real estate industry where I've been working for a long time and you go on plenty of training courses and you, you learn through trial and error and experience, I guess. How long can negotiations end up going for? If your manager's good, he should be able to do it as quickly as possible, but that's not always the case. For instance, with Tim Kelly over the last couple of years, it pretty much took the best part of a season and a half, probably almost two seasons, to get Tim the contract that he wanted and get him to where he wanted to go. But often, uh, you know, other contracts are a little more straightforward and 
it's, it's kind of how long is a piece of string. It really depends on the situation and the circumstances. That Tim Kelly, obviously, that whole process of him coming over to the West from Geelong was publicised a lot in the media. Can you talk us through what your role was and how that went about? Did you approach clubs first? Did any clubs approach you? How does that work? Oh, with Tim, it was a little bit different. Like, obviously, came onto the scene a, a little later and that was really rewarding for Tim and, and also for myself because I've had an association with Tim since he was 13 or 14 years of age playing alongside my son in junior competition and then of course coming through and being a great player with the South Fremantle Football Club for five or six seasons as well so when Tim was drafted to Geelong he was just extremely happy to finally get his opportunity in the AFL but Tim's personal circumstances changed where he had two further children so three children all up he had twins born a couple of weeks after he was drafted and you know life over in Geelong wasn't all that easy on the family so your role there is to just play a supporting role in any way you can it's not easy for a young guy with a young family being away from home without the support of their family and so Tim would heavily rely upon my support and any family support that we given I would fly over to Melbourne on regular occasions multiple times throughout a season and, and just spend plenty of time helping and mentoring. But every player is different. Some players, you know, need you to be really hands-on and other players prefer to take a, a more backward step and they only come to you when they when they need assistance on things. So it's really a horses for courses kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. There's a lot of different type of contracts out there. How does it go with these young players these days signing big long-term deals with big dollars? What are your thoughts on that compared to the players that want to be a bit more settled? Yeah, look, I think, again, depending on the circumstances and the, the, the timing and the position of life that the player is in at any one time and where they want to be long term, that, that can affect, you know, there are a lot of different variables there that can affect the planning. But I think whether it's long term or short term, and sometimes it's not the player's choice or the manager's choice, sometimes it's up to the clubs that will only maybe offer a year at a time and it's up to the player to develop or you know get his chance and his opportunity and become a, a better player so that he can get a longer-term contract. It's really hard to sort of pigeonhole contract negotiations or the management of players because they are vastly different just due to circumstances and opportunities that arise. Our friends at Hail the Cow have heard your cries and they have delivered two brand new low-carb bowls just in time for summer. So you can try their Power Up Pumpkin Bowl with chicken or tofu. It's got pomegranates and walnuts. It's a really yummy summer taste and it's super healthy. Or give their Golden Goodness Curry a try. It is simply delicious. I have tried these bowls and I really love them. So jump on the Hail the Cow website, use the code LEFTERFIELD10 at checkout and receive 10% off. These are great bowls for your lunchtime. They're super simple and mean no fuss at all. So give it a go. Now, there's still many players that want to stay as one club players and take a lot less money. Obviously, that's not spoken about in the media as much. Do you notice that is happening more and more? Oh, look, I think every player would would love to stay at the one club and play a healthy, long career at that club and usually the first club that gives them an opportunity. But that's not always the way things pan out. You know, it's a fairly dynamic landscape, the AFL landscape. It's a two-way street, so I guess there's a, a lot of more ability these days for 
clubs to trade players and for players to get the opportunity to get where they want to be at. You know, there's a lot more avenues these days than there used to be. And it, yeah, like I said, it's a two-way street. The, the clubs are often the, the instigators of the movement and sometimes it's the players also. What goes into contracts in terms of figures and bonuses? What are the contracts made up of these days? Are there a lot of clauses that the players have to make or any triggers like Brownlow's best and fairest? Are they still in play? Of course. Yeah, look, it's it's really individual to compared on the player and the circumstances that he may find himself in at the time. So it's dependent on age and experience and, of course, where the list of the club is at that time, whether they're in their premiership window and they have a whole heap of big stars in it. So the manager's role is really to make sure that he can clauses into the contract that look after his player the best that he possibly can. When you're a big name player and you can sort of dictate terms as to how much money you want to earn, that's always a lot easier and a better position to be in. But the majority of players are normally not in those circumstances. So it's a matter of putting in clauses that will benefit the player. Should he play the majority of the games throughout the season, he might get some bonuses if he wins best and fairest or, you know, ranks highly in the club best and fairest, he might get some bonuses. There's triggers, you know, various ways that you can look to do things. And it's really just having a good understanding of the player and what he wants and having a good relationship with the club people as well and understanding where the club's at and, and trying to put a contract together where the player benefits the best he possibly can. What are some of the craziest clauses or requests you've seen? Oh, look, not not too many crazy clauses, really. We're regulated fairly heavily by both the AFL and the AFL Players Association, so there's a set of rules and guidelines that everyone needs to abide by. You find that, you know, most of the clauses that are in contracts are fairly straightforward. It's more a a matter of making them to the advantage of, of your player and hoping that you give him the best opportunities possible to earn the most money that they can. And it's not always just about money. It can be about conditions and it can be about longevity and different things like that. If a player's contract's about to run out, how early do negotiations start with years and the dollars? It varies. It varies from player to player. You know, usually with the players that are superstars and and in demand, the clubs are normally wanting to tie up as soon as possible and sometimes you need to drag those out a little bit and extend those to get the best possible terms because timing is a is a very big thing in any negotiation other times they're done relatively quickly and painlessly so it's really hard to say you know there's a big variance from from different players that you have and and their position and their pecking order in the side do you ever use the media you know leak information to them about contracts or players wanting to move to kind of pump up the player have you ever done that as a manager Oh, look, you've got to manage the media, that's for sure. If you can do that to your advantage, then, you know, that's certainly part of your role to do. But I think it's fraught with danger if you're leaking things and making up stories. That's certainly something that a good manager shouldn't have the need to do. You need to manage the situation and you need to have good relationships with people in the media. And that's something that you, you don't develop overnight. That's something that takes a little bit of time to develop and a little bit of trust. So personally, I find if you're upfront and honest with the media, in most cases, they're normally fairly kind. Of course, you you don't tell them everything. You need to hold things back because things can be sensationalised. But at the end of the day, if you've got good relationships with people, you can normally explain 
a situation so that they get a better understanding and, and that false accusations or false reports aren't made. But sometimes that can be a frustrating part of the job when stories or rumours and things like that are flying around that aren't true and you need to get out and talk to media and put them on the right track, that's for sure. This time of the year, it's really exciting for those who are interested in the trades and the delistings and all of that. How do you go about talking to, you know, a 16, 17-year-old client, managing their expectations of getting drafted and going through that process? What's that like? Yeah, look, talking to young kids has never been something that sits all that comfortably with me. So because it's not something I do as a full-time business, I've been fortunate enough that most of the players that I have normally approach me or, you know, have come through finding me through past players or recommendations and things like that. However, I think for the management groups that are much larger than I am and and rely upon a bigger volume of draftees every year, they probably have the, the task of meeting the kids as early and as young as possible. My uh, way forward is normally to talk to the parents and get an understanding of the child and make sure you're not putting any pressure or anything like that on him. And it's a it's a two-way street. The kid's got to pick you and trust you as his manager just as much as you want to sign him. So it's, it's all around trust and building a good relationship, in my opinion. And then on the other side of the spectrum, how do you deal with a player being delisted and you know having to, say, drop down to the waffle? What's that conversation like? Yeah, look, sometimes as as a manager, you've got to take the good with the bad. So talking to players about delisting and getting dropped and all those sorts of things are, are never the, the nice things to do, but that's what you're there to do as a manager and just provide support. And normally, you know, a lot of planning goes into this. Very rarely would you be too shocked that a player has been delisted. It does happen on occasion, but but generally, you're talking to a club throughout the season and you've got a, a reasonable uh, idea of where they may sit in the pecking order and whether they're likely to get recontracted again next year or how contract negotiations are going. Uh, for instance, this season is a really different one. So with the event of COVID disrupting the season and the AFL yet to decide on the list sizes and the salary cap amount, that makes it difficult for clubs to be able to commit to how many players they're going to have on their list next year. So it has left the the guys at the sort of lower end of the spectrum a little bit exposed, but that's something new that we're dealing with this season. Have you got any indication on if the list sizes will drop down to 40 or what they will be like? Not yet. There's a lot of speculation flying around and I know the AFL Players Association are in batting very strongly for, for the player group. And the AFL have got a, a difficult job to do also in trying to make sure that the competition stays viable. Yeah, look, it's it's interesting times. It's not something that anyone could have planned for. But I think overall, everybody in the industry has done a pretty good job to to get a season out in really trying times. You know, to get, to get a 17-game season plus... Uh, finals, which looks like they're not going to be interrupted or anything like that at this stage. I think overall, the industry as a whole has has banded together and done a pretty good job. Do you expect to see less trades this time of year then because of the implications? Look, it's quite possible until we know what the parameters are. It's quite possible at this stage, you know, there's speculation that lists could drop from sort of a maximum of 46 or 47 down to and when I say 46 or 47, that's including rookies and Category Bs and these sorts of players. 
there was talk originally in the year that those lists might drop down to 35. Now I think the speculation is more like 38 or 40 plus rookies and things like that. So until we know those parameters, we're not going to know how many players are going to stay on lists, what list size is going to be. And I think that'll affect the draft, it'll affect the trades, and it's something that we'll, we'll watch with a lot of interest over the next five or six weeks as it all plays out. Will it have any effect on the current players' salaries? Quite possibly, yeah. Again, that's something we're not too sure of. There's a lot of speculation around what the salary cap size will be. You know, will it reduce by zero, five percent, ten percent, twenty percent? We all don't know that. And then, is it still it, currently sitting at the fifty? Currently, for this season, it is, but that that shouldn't be the case next year. What you can know, we expect that, for the players? Look, I really don't know. I really don't know. Like I said, there's a lot of speculation around it. It's certainly something that I'm not qualified to to comment on further than that, other than, you know, I sit in a lot of Zoom meetings with the AFL Players Association and everybody's talking it through and working on hypothetical situations at the moment. So until the powers to be can come to an agreement, we're really not quite sure where that'll land. 2021 is definitely going to be a different season. So if you take all of that into account, what is the best part of your job? of a player manager? Oh, I think for me, the best part has been the rewarding side of, of seeing young people grow into men and have families and, and go on to have children and, and things like that. You know, I've got a situation at the moment where I looked after Jeff Farmer throughout uh, his football career and now he has a young son who's attracting a little bit of interest at 18 who I'll be looking after. And, you know, I remember uh, having those young kids around my house when they were very, very small and, and, and Jeff's gone on to have more children since then. I remember them being born and things like that. So, you know, just this the whole rewarding side of, of being part of the industry and being part of the growth and, and seeing people develop and go on to be good people. That's, that's the most rewarding part for me. Sounds like an emotional role where you really play a part in your clients' lives. If someone wanted to get into the industry, how would you suggest they go about it? Yeah, I'm really not sure. You know, I get I get a lot of people approach me wanting to get into it, and I think it's certainly one of those jobs that, from the outside, seems like a glorious job and a real Hollywood kind of job. But often, the tasks that you're performing for them aren't quite glorious at all. In fact, they're they're the opposite. So I think people might underestimate what a manager does and what's involved in the role. You've got to have some life skills behind you, and you've got to have some experience in a varying level of roles to be successful at it. You've got to have a good team behind you. and But mostly you've got to have the players. If You, you can be the most intelligent guy in the world, but if you haven't got the players and you haven't got their trust, things aren't going to work out. So it must be difficult for guys coming into the industry. And I think most of them usually start off at some of the bigger companies and they start off in like a more minor role and then work their way up. Coming into trade season for this year, what's it look like for you? It's a really different one. You know, normally this time of year, there'd be a lot more speculation around and we'd hear a lot more rumours about who's going where and, and what. I hope this year I won't have any involvement in trade, which is a change from the last couple of years, but I'll welcome that. Hopefully I can sit back and relax, but you just never know. There could be a twist or turn at the 11th hour, which is the beauty of the trade, the free agency and player movement that happens in today's game. So you've always got to stay on your toes and be aware. Personally, I'd hope that there's no trades I'm involved in this year at this stage. I wish you a very quiet trade season then is what I should say, not a busy one. But uh, Thank you for making the time to chat to me today and giving us an insight into your world. Thanks for having me, Danielle. 
It was an absolute pleasure to get to see a bit of behind the scenes of a different side of the sporting industry. I hope you enjoyed the chat as much as I did. And you know the drill from here. Please follow me on all the socials and go back and give some of my other episodes a listen. I would really appreciate it. The last one with Bryce Cotton was a goodie. So if you love your basketball or even if you don't, there's so many good insights into the sport and into life in this. I will catch you guys in your ears next week. See ya.